Good morning, St. Andrews. It's good to be with you. My name is Jonathan, and as was mentioned earlier, I'm a student minister at this church. Today, I'll be speaking about prayer. So why don't we begin with a prayer before I speak? Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. I'd like to begin with a few verses from the evangelical poet, William Cooper. What various hindrances we meet in coming to a mercy seat. Yet who that knows the worth of prayer but wishes to be often there? Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Have you no words? Ah, think again. Words flow apace when you complain and fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sense, your cheerful song would oftener be, hear what the Lord has done for me. Today is the first of two Sundays exploring personal prayer. As you know, our second mission statement is growing by grace. John Stott said that growth is the goal of the Christian life. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus in John's Gospel. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Scripture is clear that we grow by grace. As the Apostle Paul writes, it is only God who gives the growth. Without diminishing any of that truth, we also affirm a human role in our growth. We walk by the Spirit, using all the energy Christ so powerfully works within us. And one of the ways we live and walk after God's wisdom and pleasure is through prayer. It's one of those truths universally acknowledged that prayer is central to the Christian life. Unfortunately, raising this topic, as I'm now doing, can all too easily invite feelings of guilt, as in, oh gosh, I really should be praying more. In one sense, yes, we should all be praying more, but that's not the main message I want you to take home. Rather, I'd like us to reflect more carefully on what prayer is, because by gaining a deeper knowledge of prayer, I hope our praying will be deepened. I want us to know the worth of prayer, as Cooper put it, and the joy of a prayerful life to God. Now, by way of structure, I'll start with some theological considerations about prayer before using Psalm 42 as a brief case study of prayer. And then we'll finish with some reflections on anxiety and prayer. First, what prayer is? Here I'm going to borrow heavily from the Anglican homily on prayer, most likely written by John Jewell, Bishop of Salisbury under Queen Elizabeth I. In this sermon, Jewell endorses definitions of prayer given by Augustine of Hippo and Isidore of Seville. Jewell writes, Saint Augustine calleth prayer a lifting up of the mind to God, that is to say, an humble and lowly pouring out of the heart to God. 
Isidora Seth, that it is an affection of the heart and not a labor of the lips, so that by these places true prayer doth consist not so much in the outward sound and voice of words as in the inward groaning and crying of the heart to God. What's so striking is the emphasis on the inward posture of the man or woman who prays and not their words or manner of speech. True prayer consists in humility, lowliness, affection, inward groaning, and crying of the heart to God. To quote another luminary, Bishop Ryle, there are live prayers and there are dead prayers, prayers that cost us nothing and prayers which often cost us strong crying and tears. Now, what I'm not saying is that true prayer must always be emotional, drastic, deeply felt, and that it must satisfy some arbitrary standard of authenticity. Not at all. As a young Christian who spent a lot of time in the inner city, I was once invited to a prayer meeting by some charismatic believers. Being quite open to the experience, I said, sure, why not? The prayer meeting lasted for an hour. It was emotionally intense, loud, and there were lots of tears and interruptions with ecstatic cries of amen. When it was my turn to pray, I prayed in a good, staid, conservative fashion. The effect was like that of a wet blanket, or as if I had turned on a vacuum cleaner and sucked all the spiritual energy out of the room, because my prayers were quiet, slow-paced, and brief. The group were very tolerant and respectful of their less enthusiastic guests, and after I had finished, they promptly got the prayers up to 100 miles again and revived the hallelujahs. I'm not saying the charismatic prayers were better than mine or that mine were better than theirs, because our outward manner in prayer isn't the most important thing. Augustine reminds us that true prayer is a humble and lowly pouring out of the heart to God. For, as King David writes, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. However we pray outwardly, it must come from an inward place of humble, lowly, joyful, submissive dependence on God. Let's consider who it is to whom we pray. Obviously, the answer is that we pray to God, but here I'd like to make explicit what we're assuming about God when we pray. Because, as John Jewell points out, unless there are certain requisite conditions that God meets, our prayers cannot help us. Jewell notes four qualities that must be satisfied by God for our prayers not to be futile. Quote, the first is this, that he to whom we make our prayers be able to help us. The second is that he will help us. The third is that he be, that he be such a one as may hear our prayers. The fourth is that he understand better than we ourselves what we lack and how far we have need of help. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I invite us all now to consider, uh, pardon me, to answer the following questions in our own hearts and minds. Can God help us? Will God help us? 
Does God hear us? Does God know our needs? Let's allow God to answer for himself. Can God help us? The Lord says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Will God help us? The Lord says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Does God hear us? The Lord says, My eyes are on the righteous, and my ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, and I hear them. I deliver them from all their troubles. Does God know our needs? The Lord says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Beloved in Christ, what further assurance can our merciful Heavenly Father give us that he can and will help us, that he hears us and knows our needs? But perhaps we're still in doubt. Perhaps we think our sin has caused God to turn his back and place his hands over his ears. So that even if we were to cry out at length, we wouldn't be heard. If this is the case, and I think each one of us has been there, then we need to remember the words of our Saviour. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We need to remember the words of the Apostle John. That if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There doesn't need to be any hindrance in coming to God's throne of grace. God has revealed himself as our merciful helper, above all else in giving us a mediator, an advocate in his own beloved son. In fact, I'd like to pause now and pray for each one of us in light of this last point. Please pray with me. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray and to give more than either we desire or deserve. Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask for, but through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Before we move to... Psalm 42, I'd like to briefly comment on what it is that we are taught to pray for. If prayer is faith speaking to God, to put it another way, what does faith seek from God? Here is Jewel again. Two things are chiefly to be respected in every good and godly man's prayer, his own necessity and the glory of Almighty God. 
Necessity belongeth either outwardly, outwardly to the body or else inwardly to the soul. So, in prayer, we seek material and spiritual necessities and the glory of our mighty God. Jill writes that Almighty God is the only fountain and wellspring of all goodness, and whatsoever we have in this world, we receive it only at His hands. Because we are God's creatures, we depend on Him for life and breath and everything. And because God is our mighty Creator and gracious Saviour, we owe Him honour and thanks and all our worship. This relationship informs what we pray for and why we do it. To summarise then, prayer is a humble and lowly pouring out of our heart to God. He graciously hears us and powerfully helps us. Whatever we need for body and soul, we may confidently ask of him as we thank and praise him for all his goodness to us. Let's turn now to Psalm 42 to see this picture of prayer at work in the life of a believer. First, what does this psalm teach us about what prayer is? Prayer, we see here, is how the psalmist expresses his longing for God. Listen to the opening. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Prayer is both how we commune with God and express our longing for communion with God. And isn't that the position that every Christian is in? Through Jesus, right now we can go into the presence of God. But still, we are not yet fully in his presence, nor he in ours. There's a tension, and that tension gives rise to this longing, a longing which won't be fulfilled until Christ's return. Prayer is also described as a pouring out of one's soul to God, verse 4. A remembering of God, verse 6. It can be to take the whole psalm in view, a narration of our experiences to God. And God is not put off by tears or strong emotion. Listen to verses 9 to 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? In this believer, we clearly see a humble and lowly pouring out of the heart to God. Secondly, what does this psalm teach us about the one to whom we pray? God is pictured as a fountain of fresh water, the one for whom our soul thirsts. God is the living God, verse 2. The mighty one, verse 4. God is the Lord, verse 8, who directs his love during the, na- during the day and gives his people songs in the nighttime of their fear. He is the God who gives life, verse 8. The rock of his people, verse 9. God is a saviour, verse 5, verse 11. It's striking that in a short psalm of 11 verses, the word God is used 13 times. The Lord permeates the thoughts and words of this believer who lays claim to God consistently as my God. God has given himself to his people. He has given himself to be called upon and invoked 
to be trusted in and believed, to be longed for and desired as their Lord and Saviour. Well, finally, what does this psalmist ask of his God? Spiritually, he longs for communion with God. He asks God to satisfy his soul. He desires an enjoyment of the intimacy of God's presence. Physically, he seeks deliverance from mental distress and the menace of his enemies, from sorrow and taunts. And, as the refrain makes clear, the psalmist is rousing his own soul to put his hope fully in God. He will praise God, who, as his gracious saviour, deserves and is worthy of that praise. Well, in closing, I'd like to reflect a little on anxiety and prayer. Uh, The poet W.H. Auden dubbed the 20th century the age of anxiety. I see no reason why that label no longer applies in the 21st century. But in fact, anxiety has always been with us and always will until the new creation. In general, anxiety is the feeling, of secure, the feeling of insecurity that things might not work out as we hope or would like. This ranges from the trivial, will this pavlova be a disaster, to the existential, has the cancer spread. It is simply a condition of human existence that we are prone to anxiety. And without being glib, I'd like to suggest that when we are anxious, we need to turn to our Heavenly Father in prayer. In that passage from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples that unbelievers anxiously pursue food and drink and clothing and all other material necessities. Don't do this, says Jesus, for your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Rather, Jesus says, Remember the kingdom you belong to. Live for that heavenly kingdom while on earth. The Lord is near, writes the Apostle Paul. And so he continues, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Humble yourselves, writes the Apostle Peter, under God's mighty hands, that he may lift you up in due time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We live in the age of anxiety, but we look for the life of the world to come. In a very real sense, a part of me feels phony right now. Uh, These last few months have for me been characterized more by anxiety than by prayer. But God gives us more grace. The Christian needn't be imprisoned in anxiety. So I say that as someone who receives a a clinical diagnosis of anxiety at age 10. Now, I don't want to trivialize anyone's experience, either past or present. These issues can be very complex. All the same, we need to insist that though we might struggle with our psychology or external pressures, God will come through. We can live with the insecurities of this world because of the security that God our Father has given us in Christ his Son by the Holy Spirit. And the way we keep going and moving forward and growing 
is through prayer, a humble and lowly pouring out of our hearts to God, that he would help us, giving us all we need, for which we thank and praise him and give him glory. Well, let's fittingly close our time in prayer. Come, Master, and act, exclaimed Augustine. Rouse us and call us back. Set us alight and ravish us. Blaze for us. Grow sweet to us. Let us love you passionately. Let us run to you. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Saviour and my God. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen.